Welcome to Catch Outdoors, episode number 12. I'm calling this public service announcements. <laughs> They're a must in public broadcasting, but not so much for podcasts. But, you know, I'm going to change that up just this once. So hang in there. This will be fun and informational, I'm sure. I'm your host, Captain Rob Modis. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to let you know that you can contact me via email at catchoutdoors at gmail.com. Our website is catchoutdoors.com. There you'll find a list of episodes, both past and future. And yes, there's a Facebook page, Catch Outdoors. My second book, Bridge to Paradise, is available on my website at catchoutdoors.com. It's a book of short stories about fishing, travel, and life. Thank you, Middle River Press, my publisher. It's also available on Amazon Kindle. It'd make a great gift for that outdoor person. This, uh... Well, this public service announcement idea came about as part of a, a I don't know. I was I was paying attention to news things, and I saw one about skin cancer, and I was like, geez. And then I saw something about boat handling. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then I talked to a good friend of mine yesterday, uh, Tony Phelan. He owns um, Pinterest Crab Shacks and other restaurants over on the west coast of Florida, actually from Key West all the way up to Tampa. Um, he was talking about fish handling and how people don't do it properly. And he's right. Uh, things like, um, you know, icing down fish, stuff like that. So I thought I would just put all this together into one big podcast and we'll, we'll see what happens. So let's start this off with skincare. Um, when I was doing my radio show, I used to always throw in a couple of times a year, something about, um, skincare outdoors, especially Florida. Uh, the sunshine in Florida is pretty brutal, even in the winter. Um, so it's it's harsh in the summer and just unbelievably direct and hardcore on you. But even in the winter, uh, for those folks traveling down from up north that aren't experienced with this or or have or haven't experienced it, uh, you get down here and you discover that the sun's rays are pretty brutal. Even though you thought you know oh it's warm and it's nice and I'm lying out in the sun and it's comfortable or I'm fishing or whatever, and then the next morning you wake up pink. <laughs> a sure sign that you're a visitor. <laughs> so anyway, I wanted to kind of throw out some things here for you about sunblock and the proper use of sunblock and stuff like that, because it's important that you protect your skin. I have been to the dermatologist many, many times. I grew up on the west coast of Florida, up in Clearwater. And of course, as a child, we played outside, and that was way before the days of, inter of, of intense sunblock. As a matter of fact, most people were lathering themselves up with oil trying to get a tan. So, you know, yeah, yeah, not good. But anyway, that's, that's way in the past. You, you remember the copper tone kid, right? Right, with a bare butt on the billboards? Yeah, that was the attitude back then. We, no, we don't, we don't do that now. Uh, we really cover up quite a bit. So let me start with sunblock. Creams are best. Sprays are not. I'm sorry to the spray industry. Uh, overspray misses a lot. If you don't rub it in, it's not working very well. It's terrible on a boat. Do not spray, um, spray sunblock on a boat. Um, it makes the deck extremely slippery, and then you'll have a slip and fall, and that will be or somebody will fall overboard, which be even worse. So creams are best, and creams are best if put on while the skin is cool. So if you arrive at the beach, you arrive at your donation, and you're lying out there in the sun, putting it on at that point with your skin's warm doesn't really cover you as well as it does when your skin is cool. It is best to apply sunblock in the morning, afternoon if that's when you're leaving, evening, whatever, before you go out in the sun. 
So do that at home and lather up pretty well. Get it all over your face. Cover yourself up real well. There are many, many brands out there. I'm going to leave it to you to pick the ones that you like the best. But, um, I mean, you can go online, and they have all kinds of ratings for different sunblocks. Uh, there's an old one still around, Bullfrog. I don't. I find it harder and harder to get, but I used to love that as a fishing guide. It covers well, and it doesn't disappear when you sweat. And that was... That's something pretty important when you're playing around out in the sun or if you're working in the sun, for that matter. So sunblock, go with creams. Try not to do sprays if you can. I know it's easier to spray a child. I get it. I mean, I've seen people do it at the beach and all, but, you know, if you can get the cream, do the cream. Hats, yeah, hat for the top of your head. One of the time, one of the few times that I got a basal cell cancer cell was right on the top of my head, and oddly enough, I wear a hat all the time. But the dermatologist said, well, I can tell you how it happened. He says, look at your hat, which I had there with me. And there's those little tiny vent holes in the top of the hat. And believe it or not, the sun had come through on one of those holes constantly, and that's exactly where my little lesion was that they had to take care of. So hats, hats are important, but make sure make sure you cover up those little holes in the very top. That's just a, that's a fishing guide tip for you. Speaking of the dermatologist, go. Go, if you're a Floridian and you spend time in the sun, you like beaching, outdoors, biking, kayaking, canoeing, boating, whatever it is you do outside and you do it consistently, go to a dermatologist at least once a year and I would highly recommend every six months. Most insurance packages cover a visit. It's just like having a checkup at the doctor and believe me, they'd rather have you having a checkup and pay for that than what could, could come if you don't get checked. So please go to the dermatologist and have your skin checked. Um, if for some reason, here, let's get gross here. You got a little scab and you keep picking at it and it keeps coming back and it bleeds a little bit. That's a sure sign of basal, the beginning of a basal cell cancer. Those basal cells are not real, real dangerous if caught early. And if caught early, they can be taken care of easily. If you let it fester, it will get worse and worse. And then it becomes a very serious thing. So please, if you got some little mark on an arm or a hand or your face or your head, and you've been messing with it for several months or a year, <laughs> go get it fixed. Okay, go get checked. I, you know, just, just trying to save you just a, a ton of trouble. Um, I had one on my head that took stitches. I had one on my ear where they rebuilt my ear. I mean, you know, and those are ones I waited too long on. You don't want to do that. Just take me. It's much, much easier to take care of them early. And don't be afraid of the dermatologist. Go, go get it done. Uh, buffs. Buffs are, the, the buffs are actually the, the gaiters, the things that they're like a, they're a, a tube of material, okay, um, that you pull over your head and you can tuck it all around your neck. You can pull it up over your ears. You can literally pull it up over the top of your heads. But the reason I call Buff Buff is what made this thing popular with fishermen, the company called Buff. And those things, they're fantastic. They're made by a ton of people now. There's a bunch of different uh, uh even organizations print stuff on them and, and give them out. So you can get them just about anywhere. But by all means, check out the buff. Um, if you're wearing a shirt, an open collar like fishing shirt, there's a real good chance that your neck's not being covered. And you probably won't uh, run your sunblock down that far into the, the V part of your chest, uh, both ladies and gents. So make sure that you know, the buff is just a great thing to have. Buffs became real popular during COVID. <laughs> it was like, oh, that's a mask. I can wear that. Well, you could in some places. Some places required the honest-to-goodness, you know, blue or pink mask, the, the medical mask. But in a lot of cases, yes, it was acceptable, especially, for out, especially in outdoor wear. So 
check out Buffs. They keep the sun off, and they're really, really good. They come in a multitude of designs, so you can be cool while you're wearing it. You know, that kind of stuff. Um, let's see. SPF. Uh, SPF is a, is a rating uh, for, for how long the, the sunblock or, or, in, or what I'm going to talk about next shirts uh, will hold off the sunshine for you. Um, ratings uh, on sunblock, typically, I like, you know, as high as 50. Anything higher than that is kind of ridiculous, and that's been proven by the scientists who've been rating this stuff. They're like, look, 45 to 50 is tops. Um, it has to do with the time allotment that you can be out in the sun for extra. Anything above a certain number is kind of ridiculous because it's dark by then. <laughs> That's how long the, it extends your capability to be in the sun. So SPF 40, 45, 50 is, is a good place to be on the very, very top end. You can go a little lower if you want to, but I, I, I'd stick to the top. Shirts. A lot of clothing nowadays is right around uh, SPF 30, 30 and 35 for a lot of shirts. Orvis makes them, Columbia, and then, of course, there's all the other brands like Bass Pro and stuff like that. These people all have these shirts. So look for them if you are fishing or an outdoor person, kayaking, canoeing, things like that, even beaching, beach fishing. Um, those shirts are comfortable. They breathe. Uh, but more importantly, they cover you up. And that's less sunblock that you've got to put on your arms and shoulders and things like that if you keep one of those shirts on. I noticed the other day there were even t-shirts now. T-shirts in those long sleeve uh, fishing shirts, um, they have SPF ratings on them. So be sure to check that out. Most important thing I've said so far, go get checked. Go do it every couple, every uh, twice a year if you can. If not, once a year at the very least. Let's talk about fish handling. Thank you, Tony, for this idea. Um, this will be about, you know, taking care of fish both to be released and to be eaten. So I, I want to kind of go with, with both sides of this. In fish handling in general, and especially for catch and release fishing, be very, very careful with your hands with nicks and cuts. It's a sad commentary. I'm sorry to have to say it, but our water does have pollution in it from time to time. It's not horrible. Don't get me wrong. It's not like some river that's enclosed and people dumping stuff in it. No, it's not like that. But we do have problems. We have an enormous population moving into Florida or have moved into Florida on both the west and the east coast. And occasionally we have pollution problems that are usually caused by heavy, heavy rain runoff. Um, if you get nicked by a fish or bitten by a fish, fin nicked in other words, or bitten by a fish and it draws blood, there's a chance that you can get one of these microbes in there and you don't want that. Trust me. I, I know of people, actually I have a friend who wound up in the hospital. And, uh, so what I recommend on board the boat for nicks and cuts is some sort of an antiseptic. Um, the hand wipe stuff that we've all been using for the last year and a half, that's great to have that on the boat. Anything happens, put that directly on the cut. Antiseptic wipes, you want to keep those in your uh, first aid kit and get those out right away and wipe that clean. I always take a, a step of if it's a bite that goes that's bleeding, I'll, I'll actually squeeze it to make more blood come out first to help clean the wound. Um, then I'll clean it with an antiseptic and alcohol. One guy on the boat said, does, does vodka work? Yeah, but you're probably not supposed to be doing that on the boat. But anyway, yeah, any anything that's got alcohol in it, rubbing alcohol would be excellent. So keep that stuff on there. Make sure that you do that on your hands right away and then wash your hands off and keep an eye on it. And I would probably, once that's done, I would take a good waterproof Band-Aid and cover it while you continue to fish. You don't want anything getting back in there. Um, most public areas, most public beach areas, 
Uh, and most uh, municipalities will release a notice of some sort to let you know that there's a problem in the area. That's when you want to be sure to take care of this type of stuff. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's just the way it is. Two fish in particular in saltwater that you want to watch out for for this uh, are saltwater catfish and stingrays. Um, the catfish have got barbs on their, their uh, fins. Uh, especially that lovely dorsal one. That's the one that nail. Well, they, the, the pectorals will nail you too on the side, but be careful when you're handling them. I've seen people go after them with a towel. That's not going to keep that barb from, from getting you. Even a, a really good glove will. I mean, a really good glove will keep the barbs away. But quite frankly, it'll go right through a towel or a T-shirt or any piece of material that you might think you're wrapping around that fish. Nah. And once you've been stuck, you probably won't do it again. So uh, be really careful. Those things can get easily infected. Let me speak from experience. I got jabbed by a stingray. Oh, it was years ago. I'm going to call it nine or ten years ago. I've never forgotten it. <laughs> I was releasing it. And, you know, carefully, which I've done a lot of that. So usually what I do is flip the stingray over on its back up against the gunnel, the outside gunnel of the boat. So that way the, the barb on a stingray is at the top of its tail, right? Right at, it's not at the end of the tail. It's at the base of the tail to the body and it's on top. And that thing's a bad boy. Let me tell you what. So I had him turned against the boat. I was releasing it. He gave a little kick, you know, like a, like fish do. And he got me in the finger and I'm not going to tell you how, well, I will tell you it was awful. It felt, it was, it got hot and burning and I didn't have anything on the boat to take care of it other than turning on the motor and putting the hot water outflow from an outboard motor on it that didn't help much and eventually got back to the marina got it taken care of actually went over to the fire station the guys at the fire station took the pain away right away did a great job thank you gentlemen um but then even though i washed it took showers kept an eye on it the daggone thing got infected and i was told by the emergency room doctors that the jab of a stingray or a catfish carries all kinds of lovely things on the jab that gets into the skin so no matter how much you care for it it's in there and it's going to get you and it did so i wound up on heavy antibiotics for 10 days let me tell you, you you don't want to go there this is something you don't want to have happen so be very very leery of those two fish and if you do get stuck keep a close eye on it if you get any kind of redness or anything happens to go right to a, a medical center doctor or emergency room to get it looked at and get it taken care of um when it comes to keeping fish um, same thing, of course, applies for the initial handling of the fish, except in this case, it's probably going to go, you know, into the ice box. And speaking of that, that's where we're going. When I was talking to Tony yesterday, we, we both know this and we see this a lot. A lot of people just don't handle fish very well. They, they'll bring it in, they'll put it in a cooler. It's got maybe one block of ice in it, or it's got too little ice and they'll try to cover it up. And then they're spending all day out on the water. So they get eight hours, it's like that. So no, the fish is not being well taken care of. And it's very important that you do, uh, both for your health and for the taste. Um, if you let fish reach room temperature, I mean, you're asking for trouble. Um, yeah, you can make sushi for some, but a lot of it, you probably shouldn't do that. <laughs> Just take my advice. Um, so... Good coolers are in order. Uh, I, you know, I mean, we all know about things like the Yeti and the and the RTCs. You know, they've got a lot of really good refrigeration type coolers out there. They're they're actually no, they're not powered, but they're so thick they stay really really cold for a very long time. 
Um, I like to make sure when I was guiding to pre-cool my cooler. So in other words, when you when you get out there, dump a bunch of ice in it, keep the lid shut. And then you can open it later and add stuff to it and put more ice in it. A little secret on coolers that works really, really well with ice, especially with chipped ice or, or um, uh, you know, crunched ice, as I like to call it. <laughs> open up the little drain vent on the side and leave it open on the boat. Um, yeah, your feet are going to get cold if you walk by, but let me tell you a little secret here. And I learned this from another captain. This was really a nice, a neat trick. Um, the ice in there, as it melts, it starts to float in its own uh, liquid, its own water. And as the boat moves, it rocks back and forth. So the ice cubes actually rub against each other, creates what? Friction. And it helps the ice melt a little bit more quickly than it should. If you pull that little drain plug or at least crack it open so the water will slowly drain out, the ice won't be rocking back and forth or rubbing against each other, and ta-da, the ice lasts longer. See? What a tip. So pre-cooling the cooler is a really good idea. Lots of ice. Don't go short. If you're keeping fish, now remember, if, you're not, if, this, if your cooler is primarily putting your drinks in it and your sandwiches, fine. But if you're going to put fish in it, it's really, really important that you take an abundance of ice with you. Um, you, you don't want to run out of ice. Um, one thing we also talked about was a lot of people display their fish on the dock when they get back. They'll pull all the fish out, lay it out on the table, lay it out on the dock, and take happy, smiling photographs. That's fine. Keep it iced. If you're going to do that, throw ice on the table, put the fish in the ice, take the photos quickly, and then put the fish back in the cooler as you clean them. Don't leave them on the table. Those pictures are, that's, you know, yeah, I'm a big man, I caught lots of fish. That's fine. That's cool. Not a problem with that. But you don't want to lay them out in the sun and then have them baking in the sun while you're taking a picture. That's not a good idea. So, again, keep, keep icing the fish down even if you're going to make photographs uh, and the like. Um, brining. This is something that uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Dean Hicks, taught me a while back. Uh, it had to do really more with sharks than anything else. Um, in the state of Florida, you are not allowed to clean a fish on a boat uh, recreationally. I'm not sure about commercial. I think some commercials can with certain licensing, but not recreationally. If you get a fish that you're going to keep and it's, and it's restricted by law uh, or by regulations, you have to bring it back to the dock hole. Now, you can gut the fish on the boat as long as you don't take the head of the tail off. Uh, and you can bleed it, of course. And that's very true for some species like Spanish mackerel and kingfish, things like that, if you want to get the blood out. You can do that. Um, but you cannot cut it up. So keeping the fish really, really cold, especially if it's a bloody fish, which sharks are, um, became an issue because a lot of people like to eat shark. And let me tell you what, if you don't clean shark properly, it it tastes bad. Let's just go there. Brining. It works like this. You have a big cooler large enough to hold the fish intact, which means if it's a shark you're keeping that's three or four feet long, you're going to have to have a pretty good-sized cooler. You fill it with ice, and off you go. You go fish. And this is true for I used to do this with mackerel, too. It works great with Spanish mackerel. People say mackerel doesn't taste that good. Yeah, it does. First day cooked, oh, yeah, it does. I love light-fried mackerel. You get it. You catch it. You slit it down the belly, you bleed it, you throw it in the ice, and then you take a bucket and you add some salt water to it right out of the Gulf of Mexico or the ocean. You just basically not float the ice, but just put enough water in there so that the ice is, I don't know, like a soft drink, you know, like putting ice in a Coca-Cola, if you will. Now, what it does is the brine, the, the salt, lowers the temperature. 
I'm not a scientist. I don't know why, but it does. And it makes the, the brine water in that cooler very, very cold. And so it, it actually does it. It also helps because of the salt. It helps leach the blood out. It draws the blood away. So it does two really good things for those type of fish. You don't have to do this for everything. You don't have to dump redfish in there or snook when they're in season or sea trout or whatever. But these other fish, a lot of these pelagic offshore fish, this is a really good idea to do this. So remember, Brian, you'll need a special cooler for it. It's not something that you put your drinks and stuff in, obviously. Uh, but uh, it's basically made for fish. So boat's going to have to be big enough for a couple of coolers, and one of them will be your brine cooler. And please keep in mind, do not fillet a fish at sea. I've, I've, I have seen a lot of people get some really sizable tickets for doing this. You, you <laughs> Don't do it. Read those regulations. If you're not sure, Florida's got the most unbelievable fishing regulations. And by the way, they change like every three months. They don't publish that, by the way. They tell you online, and they'll tell you in an application, So, it, but it's up to you to keep track of this. So please be aware of all the rules and regs in the state of Florida. The last part of this, I'm going to attribute this one to my wife. It was her idea. She said, be a good captain. <laughs> and I said, no, be a great captain. When I say captain, I'm not talking about somebody like me, a licensed captain, or the guys that guide and do all that kind of stuff. I'm talking about you, the captain. That's what you are. When you're on board your craft, your boat, your pontoon boat, if you've got two people in a kayak, one of you is the captain whoever the owner is and whoever that is in charge. And guess what? You're responsible for everybody else on that boat. Um, it's, I, it's something that I'm, I'm always baffled by when I see, I've seen a lot. <laughs> I just don't, you know, remember, you're the one in charge. Number one, that means you don't drink. That's also a state Florida law. You do not drink if you're the captain of the boat, period. There is a the law is lenient on passengers, unlike in automobiles and things like that. Uh, if you're on a boat, you as a passenger, you can party. You're allowed to drink. Please don't fall overboard. Try to keep the drinking at a point where you still have balance. Uh, but, you know, the captain's not allowed to do that, so don't do it. Make sure he, you, he, she, captain, we'll just call you captain. Make sure the captain has all licensed required equipment on board. So in other words, safety equipment. Life jackets, fire extinguishers, whistles, whatever is required for that particular style boat and length of boat, make sure you have that. You can find that information on the U.S. Coast Guard site. You can go on there and just simply type in U.S. Coast Guard regulation, boating regulations. It'll pop right up, and then it'll tell you how long the boat, what, what boat you have, how long is it, and here's your required things, and here's the extra things you might want to carry. So safety equipment. Watch your wake. I ran into this more times than I know, and I hear this over and over again from other people that boat, not just a licensed captain, but somebody who's on the boat going, man, people are just not, uh, I mean, they're not nice, and they're not responsible. You must be responsible for your wake. That's the law, believe it or not. You cannot blow by somebody in an inner water area with a giant wake behind you. Um, spilling somebody, dumping somebody, sinking somebody uh, is not cool. <laughs> And um, if they find you, you're going to be in really serious trouble. So look behind you when you're boating occasionally. Actually, you should do it a lot. Look over your shoulder and see what your wake's doing. If you're in a big boat and you're slowing down to be courteous, that's cool. But you got to slow all the way down. 
You can't just slow down with the bow still in the air and throw in a two or three foot wake in the back, especially for kayakers, canoers, paddle boarders, and people in very small boats. You've got to settle the boat all the way down in the water before you pass somebody. That I know this sounds elementary to some folks, but you'd be stunned how many boat captains, quotes around them, really and truly have no idea that slowing down sometimes worse than going fast as far as the wake that's popping off the back of the boat. Know the rules of the road. One in particular I'm going to point out is in the United States, we boat the same way we drive on laned highways. We pass each other port to port. Those that don't have any training, that's left to left, left side to left side, port to port. Ah, probably if you don't know that and you're a boater, you probably should go take some boating classes. You really should. You need to know what port starboard and the bow and stern is and aft. <laughs> anyway, ooh, I digress. Um, port to port. We do not pass on the opposite side unless there is no room to get around somebody. Then that will happen. But you need to know that. And that's important when, when markers are involved. You know, you may crunch somebody right up against a marker or out of the channel if you're not sure which way to pass. So make sure you understand how we pass here in the United States when we're going when we're coming at each other in a boat. Keep your head on a swivel. Boating is, uh, I call it multidimensional. Um, it's not like driving a car. A car, pretty much, you're aiming straight, you're in a lane, you watch left, right when you're coming to intersections, and you occasionally look up in your rearview mirror to see what's coming at you. And that's typically if you're traveling at 80 miles an hour on I-75 across Alligator Alley uh, or another other any other open highway. You're always kind of you know looking up like, what's that coming at me at 90? And yes, in the state of Florida, that happens. So head on a swivel in a boat. It's a lot different. Things can come at you all the time, left and right from 45-degree angles off the bow or the stern. People will pass you on the wrong side. You might be looking left for a pass from somebody on the right is overtaking you. It's very important that you look all around in circles the entire time you're on the boat, even when you're stopped. If you come to a stop, put an anchor down, and you're in an area where other boaters may be passing by, you still need to stay aware of what's going on out there. Are you a kayaker or a canoer or a paddleboarder? Extra attention is required. <laughs> I like, In the kayak, I use sound as one. Not only do I visually watch what's going on around me, but I listen. And you can hear a boat coming from a long way off because kayaks don't have a motor, so it's naturally quiet. So it's really important that you that you listen. You'll hear somebody, especially if you're fishing in a back area in mangrove or in mangrove channels, it's real important to pay attention to see if anybody might be coming around a corner or to hear if anybody might be coming around a corner. So double up your head swivels. And about those markers, it's important to know what those markers mean. When I say markers, I'm talking about channel markers. There's two types. There's the U.S. Coast Guard channel markers. Those are maintained by the U.S. Coast Guard. Um, then there's also private markers, and those are generally found in back bays or in, uh, oh, you know, small rivers, creeks that lead into a housing development. Sometimes the developer in that area or the housing folks, the people that live there, I'm sorry, the residents, will, will put their own markers out, which is totally legal as long as they're properly done and properly listed. Um, but they're responsible for those markers. Uh, you basically have uh, green and, and red markers. Uh, you need to know which one's which. Uh, they're shaped differently. Uh, green is typically square and red is triangular. 
Um, they have different meanings. Uh, in most cases, when you're coming in from big water into small water, so if you're leaving the Gulf or the Atlantic Ocean and you're coming into a bay, it's red right returning. So the red will be on your right as you come back in, uh, and it'll be on your left as you're leaving. Uh, there are not always opposing markers. It's important to know that there's not always a red and a green right across from each other. And if they are right across from each other, that means the channel's narrow, and you need to be between them. And you need to pass... What did I say? Yeah, port to port. You got it. Um, it's unusual in Florida. We have a little thing called the intercoastal water, intracoastal waterway. Runs wraps all the way around Florida, as a matter of fact. Starts way up north, I believe. Don't hold me to this. I think it's Maine. And it runs all the way down coastal United States around Florida and all the way over to Texas. Um, this is a lane of travel. Um, and it's unusual in its markings. It does use red and green markers. However, it's important to understand that the red marker is always taken toward land. So that means as you travel around the United States, clockwise, red's going to be on the right. As you travel counterclockwise, the red is going to be on your left. So that means the red markers will be toward land, the green markers will be toward water. How are they noted? They're a little different. The red marker has a, I mentioned they're square, they're red squares. There's a little tiny square yellow marker above the number. Not tiny, it, well, it's very small. And the same thing on the triangle. On the triangle, you'll have the green triangle, but there'll be a little green-yellow triangle at the top, noting that that's an intracoastal waterway marker. There, you've learned something. This is why you go to these classes. Go to classes. Go take a boating class. Safe boating classes are offered all around the state of Florida. Um, you can sign up for it. Uh, a lot of times USCG Auxiliary has them. That's probably one I would recommend. But there are other clubs and things like that that offer these training courses. So go do that. Take a safety lessons. By the way, it's required for the youth. I am not sure what the uh, age cutoff it was. I think it was 16 and under at one point, kind of like a driver's license. But I am not sure if they changed that or lowered it. And it varies for if the child wants to use, or the youngster, I should say, wants to use a kayak or canoe, a non-motorized craft. But in motorized, and especially in the case of jet skis, things like that, there are fairly strict reg regulations on youngsters. Uh, so make sure that they get the training, and you should too. You really should. Everyone that boats out there really ought to take some sort of basic course to learn how to handle um, a boat on the water safely. Remember, you're in charge, and other people's safety is in your hands. Thank you so much for listening. I seriously appreciate you taking the time to tune in. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend. You can reach me via email at catchyoutdoors at gmail.com. All questions and suggestions about future and past podcast subjects are more than welcome. Catch you Outdoors hosted by Anchor and available via Spotify and now also on Apple Podcasts. Go to the podcast app on your iPhone and search for Catch you Outdoors. Our Facebook page is Catch you Outdoors. Our website is catchyoutdoors.com. Until next time, get outdoors and enjoy.